0: Welcome to Countdown to Kickoff, part of Oregon College Game Day
1: with Judah Newby and Neil Lomax, Time! presented by Frost Frostbrewed Coors Light on 1029 and 750 The Game. All right, here we go, baby! Oregon and Washington, a rivalry game. Welcome into Countdown to Kickoff here on 1029 750 The Game. Judah Newby, Neil Lomax, and we open with continued crosstalk with the hosts of the Oregon College Football Postgame Game Show. Actually, the pregame show, (laughs) not the postgame show yet. That's coming up. It's somebody's postgame. Brian Perkins, Jordan Kent. Fellas, let's get right into the predictions. Nick Aliotti will join our show coming up in 10 minutes with his thoughts on the Ducks and the Huskies. Let's go around the room, talk about predictions for this football game. Jordan Kent, you've had two hours to process the dynamics of this game, the matchups, what's at stake between 17th-ranked Oregon as three-and-a-half-point home underdogs. To number seven Washington flesh it out for me always, your, what you
2: think always take the home dog I've got Oregon 24 <laughs> 23 I think it's going to be a very very close game obviously because of that score but what I see are two very very good defenses defenses that don't try to give up big plays and you look at the way that Washington's going to try and grind this game out in my opinion I think if you're Oregon as well too the fact that you're at home it's going to give you enough of advantage for one or two of those game-breaking plays that you might see, whether that's you know a four-sack and fumble or an interception, just give you one more possession. But I think both teams, they've struggled in the second half to really generate a lot of offense mm-hmm. in their last couple of games, Washington and Oregon. And so I don't expect this one to be a high-scoring affair based upon the defenses and the inconsistencies we've seen in the second half for both squads. I
0: expect big explosive plays by Oregon. I, I'm expecting TBJ to finally break out. Mm. Let's figure out what's going on with him, CJ C.J. Vardell, the running backs. I mean, we had what four freshmen, five freshmen score touchdowns for running backs. That's a, that's the stat I'm looking at too yeah. here. I mean, it's incredible yeah. the way they use their running backs. But Tony Brooks James is. We're ready. We're ready to see this kid play. He's going to catch four or five balls out of the backfield. I expect a lot of explosive plays, not just from Dylan Mitchell, JJ. Uh, Justin's going to throw the rock around. Yeah, that's what they do so well. Yeah, Washington's got a great defense, but at home, I got this thing 38-21. 38 21 ducks I would have oh. no problem with that well of course you do you're a duck <laughs> but I, I, don't, I don't really care. but I just sense that again because I'm wait they're gonna put two halves together yeah it's going to be and it is they're two really good defenses but man I just love the way Justin Herbert runs this offense. And I'm, I'm expecting a lot of big, explosive plays. They're going to spread it out, and it's going to be fun to watch. What do you think, Bergens? I think it's 30-27, Oregon.
1: Mm. I, uh, I was, you know me. I was waffling about this. I thought I was kind of going back and forth. But I I also think, I mean, we're talking about a team in Oregon that's you know top 15 in turnovers, interceptions this year. I think they're going to turn over Jake Browning a couple times in this game, and that's going to make the difference. And also, I do agree with you, Neil, that there, there's a better chance that Oregon blows out Washington than Washington blowing out Oregon. I mean, by far, I don't oh yeah, think oh yeah. that the Huskies, the way they play, and and just in general, the talent level, just I don't think is there for them this year. So I like the Ducks at home. I think the the, the you, you know you combine the bye week with home field advantage in this one, and you know some of these guys on this team. You heard Jalen Jelks talk about how he's still thinking about you know what
2: what was it seventy to twenty one mm-hmm. a couple years ago in twenty sixteen. So I, I think Oregon gets it done. Does a bye week factor into this at all, Jordan? You know, Neil and I were talking about this. I think what it does is it allows you to get healthy. And it's the guys that are playing significant minutes that might have sore wrist here or there, sore groin or something like that. Those injuries that don't have you feeling quite 100%, you get a chance to really let those heal up. But it's not like the NFL where... It's only 53 guys, and you really need every single guy to contribute. You have so much depth on these college teams that I think the bye week for Oregon after the win after Cal allows you to really dump any of emotional baggage you have against Stanford. That game is in the rearview mirror. There's no lingering effects from that at all. You get a couple guys back that are healthier now. Tony Brooks-James should mm-hmm. be much more available. Jacob Breeland as well, too. You need all of your weapons that, on offense big, against tie Washington. In. That, that's big yep. and
0: tied in to have him back.
2: Yeah, and so that's why it helps. I don't think there's anything extra preparation-wise that really makes a difference because at a certain point, you can prepare, but you don't need to over-prepare. You need to do your stuff, do it well, understand your assignments against Washington, go out, ball, and execute. And
0: here's a key point, too, to a bye week. Coaches get bored. That they're they're flying around recruiting. They did for the weekend. Most of the, Almost all the staff go out and recruit different high schools all across the nation with those private planes that Oregon's available. They didn't use mine. I you didn't know, see it when up. I played. Mine's still in Aurora next to Jordan's G5. <laughs> Mine's parked right there in the hangar. So here's what, special teams. I'm guaranteed, watch Oregon come up with something tricky. These coaches are on the planes. They're bored. They're drawn up. Hmm, that might be a good one. And no one ever creates anything new. You're always stealing from somebody else. You're always borrowing, bar- borrowing to play, borrowing a special. So special teams is key here. And watch Oregon be creative. Mm. I'm just to watch them be creative on a punt, punt return, kickoff, kickoff return. So just watch their punt team. I didn't get it from an inside. I'm just to watch Oregon's punt team, and you're gonna you're gonna be a little surprised what's gonna happen on a fourth and five and a fourth and four. That's all I'm saying.
1: <laughs> I love that. You know, speaking of special teams, UW has struggled in the kicking game. Last year, they were terrible. Peyton Henry, their left-footed kicker coming into this game, he's already missed three field goals this Mm. year. Mm. Autzen's going to be going crazy. Anything north of 35 yards for a field goal in this game for Washington, I think could spell trouble for them. Jordan Kent, it's good
2: to see you again, my man. Always a pleasure, my friend. Cross- well, thank, you. A pleasure. thank you
0: for the latte. You're welcome. Hey.
2: Now I just need an invite to hit the links next okay, time. We're here to go. <laughs> Coconut milk latte. No, almond milk. I told oh, you. Come oh, on, oh, man. man. I don't want it then. Come Who wants on. it? Who wants it? <laughs> Come Come on.
1: On. More cat out of kickoff coming up. Nick Aliotti calls in in five minutes here on the game. Welcome back. Right after the game, Ducks, Huskies, tune in right here. 1029.750, the game for the Oregon College Football Post Game Show. Myself and Neil Lomax will take your calls at 503-417-7575 and your tweets at 1029thegame. Well, this is the 111th all-time meeting between University of Oregon and University of Washington in football. And, Neil, it goes back to 1900, man. I mean, I was just a baby back then, but those are some great games. Yeah,
0: and I, I don't remember those <laughs> games back then. I, I just know uh, Don James, Rich Brooks. You know, you started back in the 80s, early 80s and 70s, and going through uh, the Mike Belotti years, and it's, it's back and forth. But, you know, the last two years hasn't been very favorable for the Ducks. Uh, Chris Peters had. But, again, that's an injury to uh, Justin Herbert. And that's the key. You know, when Jake Browning went down right. uh, a couple of years ago, yeah. Oregon, Oregon came through. So. You know, that's the keys, guys staying healthy. And, yeah, what a rivalry. It's not quite, you know, Civil War. I think most Oregonians would say that's the main rivalry is the Beaver and Ducks. But this has been kind of whoever wins this game either wins that Pac-12 North or has a chance to go to, you know, back in the day before the college football playoffs. Huge bowl implications.
1: Yeah, let's go out and uh, talk to someone that knows a thing or two about the dynamics of this rivalry. Nick Aliotti, the former longtime defensive coordinator of the Oregon Ducks in the Mike Bellotti era era, and Chip Kelly era as well. Coach, it's good to speak to you once again. How would you compare the rivalry between Oregon and Washington to the Civil War game with the Beavers? How, How are those two different?
3: Well, the difference is most recently, well, not most recently, but uh, Oregon has become a team, and they've struggled the last couple years, but Oregon and Washington were two teams that were typically vying for the Pac-12 North title and going to the Rose Bowl way back when, when the winner of the Pac-12 or Pac-10 went to the Rose Bowl. Those teams have had stronger histories than Oregon State. Oregon State probably is still the main rivalry. But because of the the magnitude of games like today, uh, Washington and Oregon understand that usually whoever wins whoever wins that game has the uh, upper hand for the North Division. When you look
1: at this game on paper, Coach, you know what stands out to you? What does Oregon have to do in order to take down the Huskies? Right now, Vegas has the Huskies favored by three and a half points in Autzen Stadium.
3: Well, i tell you what, that Austin Magic seems to be back, even though Oregon let one slip away at Stanford. Uh, they played very well for most of that game. The crowd was into it, and I've been there where that crowd could be a, a real uh, ally for your defense. I think Oregon needs to, uh, obviously, I think they're going to score enough points with Herbert, even though Washington has a good defense. I think Herbert is the key for them offensively. But defensively, I think Oregon needs to make sure they disrupt and pressure Browning. They'll have to stop the run, obviously, but then they need to pressure Browning and make him uncomfortable. I think the defense for Oregon, if they're going to win this game, is the key. Hey,
0: hey, Nick, uh, Neil Lomax here. Let's stay on that defensive side of the ball because I know Chris Peterson uh, very well. He actually recruited my son, Nick. Uh, When he went to Boise State, been at our house, and he's kind of the offensive mindset. But, you know, you talk about the Ducks' defense, but tell us us more about Jimmy Lake, you know, kind of his philosophy, his scheme. And they've kept, you know, Pete, it's Kwiatkowski, right? Kwiatkowski there as well. You kind of got got two guys there, Nick, um, that have their, you know, their footprint on that defensive scheme. Tell the folks more about what's the philosophy there, because they've always been a really good defensive unit. Yeah,
3: you know the beauty Neil and Judy is that I know Pete Krakowski and he's got absolutely no ego involved and and it just is a really good football coach So for him I don't think he it mattered to him if Jimmy Lake became the coordinator I think him and Chris talking about Pete and coach Pete Krakowski and coach Peterson had talked for quite some time They didn't want to lose Jimmy Lake so they've stayed with their same philosophy. They're let just Jimmy Lake has now got the title and he's calling it. But it's kind of nice for Jimmy to have a resource like Pete Krakowski who has no ego involved. And, you know, what Washington does a great job of is they make you, and I, I speak about this all the time, particularly in college football, Washington makes you have to earn the touchdown. They do not give up many explosion plays. They have a very good defense. They like to play with a single high for the most part, whether it's cover three or cover one. But they're playing with one guy in the middle there. That's what a single high is for the audience back there that doesn't know it. But uh, they really make you drive the ball to score for the most part, and it's hard for college teams to put together 10 or 12 good plays in a row without messing it up or having some kind of disruption. So, I think that's been their calling card, you know, be stout against the run, be sound in the back end, give you the short ones but make you earn it to go all the way for a score.
0: Well, and, that, and that's what Oregon does not like. You know, they've been averaging a 2 minute 10 second drive for touchdowns and they they can get a 15 second drive and you know, Oregon does is not used to that seven eight minute drive, so that's going to be an interesting chess match. Hey, hey, Nick, I was talking to Jordan Kent about a bye week. You as a coach, you you get the bye week, you're you're recruiting, but you get bored. So are you sitting on the plane, drawn up? Hmm, I'm going to change this and change that, and I got a new idea. Or is that something you, as coaches in college, stay away from so you don't get something new to throw curveballs at your players?
3: You know, I. I... Early in my career, Neil and i it was a long, lot of years there, I think I, I tried to come up with, you know, a wrinkle here or there. As it got later in the career, what I found is that there might be one little thing, wrinkle or tweak, whatever, but for the most part, we stuck to what we did and what we did best and practiced it over and over and over. Hmm. So instead of creating new defenses, what we were able to do is to play our opponent's plays with the defenses we had and see those over and over and over so that it became second nature for my guys, for the defense to just react and not have to think too much. Because a lot of times, a lot of us as coaches kind of really outsmart ourselves because it's not what we know, it's what the players really know that they can execute and play fast. So we moved to more of that, where we were just playing plays over and over and over, seeing these plays with the the defenses we had. Now, what I did like to do is play those defenses, but have certain code words to disguise that defense uh, before we played it, so that we gave the the offense, a smart guy like Jake Browning, some pre-step looks and then moved into something else, but it was something else that we've done quite a
0: bit. Yeah, and and follow up to that, how many special team coaches have you been around, though, that, that have not done that? They get that extra four or five days. Have you seen some pretty creative things they come up? Oh, hey, coach, I got a great idea. Tell us some of those stories.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. You know, it, it comes down to the guys. On, it, obviously, the coach is a big factor in the game, knowing when to go for it knowing when to gamble, when I should punt instead of going for it on fourth, whatever the case may yeah, be. Yeah, fake field goal, fake field
0: goal, there. yeah.
3: Yeah, all that stuff, the coaches involved. But really, it's the player's execution on the field that's key. And I think that this is a big game because I think it's two really good football teams going at it today, and I really believe whoever wins this game is going to win the North Division. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that the winner of this game wins the North, and still... Even though things have to happen, the winner of this game still has an outside chance for the college football playoff. They really do. I love. If they run the table.
1: Hmm, but
3: this is a big game.
1: Yeah. So, last thing for you, I know you're walking into the Pac-12 Network studios right now, Coach, but uh, and Nick Aliotti joining us. Who do you think will win this game, given all the big games that you've coached in in Austin, when it's rocking and you've got the national TV audience, you've got another ranked opponent in the building, and it's a rivalry game? Coach, how do you see this one playing out?
3: You know, I've been really thinking about this one, and I like the fact that Oregon's playing at home. I like the fact that Oregon has Justin Herbert. I think they're an improved defense, and they're going to hate me up there in Oregon. I just think, overall, Washington is a more veteran team, Mm. and it's more used to being in these games. I think Washington wins in a high-scoring shootout.
0: High-scoring shootout. Wow,
1: Coach, (laughs) coming in hot. Coach Aliotti, that is fantastic, uh, Coach. Hey, appreciate the time as always. It's so good talking football with you on a Saturday.
3: Thank you guys very much. Have a great day.
1: We will. Thanks, Coach. There he is. Nick Aliotti has got the Huskies winning this game. Oh, Neil, I did not see that. Right, one I love it.
0: I love it because I disagree with him, yeah. and that's why I, I totally disagree with him. You know, oh. we we love our different opinions. Stop. But that's man. But that's from a vet. That's from a guy's been around, knows what he's talking about, but again, that's his take. Mm-hmm. That's why we're here. We're all got opinions. We all got thoughts and stuff, but <laughs> we're, yeah, we're the we're the experts, right? Love
1: it. Oh, Nick Gaglioti picking the in, Husky. The ball in a Woo! in a shootout. In a shootout. All right, what do you think? You can tweet the program at one oh two nine the game as you make your way down to Eugene. Do you have the ducks? Do you have the Huskies winning this game as three and a half point favorites? This is Countdown to Kickoff. Judah Newby, Neil Lomax here on 1029 and 750, The Game. I'm still shocked that Nick Aliotti picked Washington to win this game. Not because it's an irrational opinion, but it came from Nick Aliotti. But how about that? He is a true professional, keeping bias at the door, picking the Huskies to win this rivalry game. Who do you have winning it? Tweet at 1029 the game. You can also call in, why not, at 503-417-7575. I'm Chooter Newby. Across from me is the College Football Hall of Famer, Neil Lomax. Border War, Neil. 111th edition of this football game. What stands out to you about this matchup, Oregon and Washington?
0: Well, I think the quarterbacks, you know, Nick Galeotti uh, alluded to the experience and the veterans at Washington with Jake Browning, Miles Gaskin, you know, Chris Peterson's got a great staff there. We talked about the defensive coordinators, co-defensive coordinators, and that's been their their style for uh, I think many years. They've obviously had Pettis last year, but defensively, you know, they they lost Vita Villa last year. Uh, I I thought he was one of the best defensive linemen uh, around the country, and it turned out he was because I think mean, Tampa Bay picked him like in the the twelfth pick in the first round. And they lost some guys, but they retooled. But uh, I was a little surprised by Coach Aliotti's pick there of, of a shootout because the, the two defenses uh, are, are both very good. Uh, I, I think though Oregon, again, has more explosive players, explosive styles <laughs> um, offensively. They're the ones who put more points on the board. So uh, great rivalry. Yeah. I mean, and, and there's so many importance on it. We talked, and I, I'm on John Conzano's show you know, once, twice a week, and he, he likes to talk about signature wins. Like, th- this is no question a huge game. This is, and the Cougars might have to say something about that, too, uh, next week and when they play Washington the Apple Cup, but this game will probably will determine the, the Pac-12 North champion. So this is a signature moment, not just for Mario Cristobal, Justin Herbert, but for the Oregon Duck football program right now, this year.
1: How much do you think the experience from the Stanford game, September 22nd, will factor in and hopefully help the Ducks in terms of performance and in terms of finishing this game because chances are it's going to be close in the second half and Oregon will have to be able to run the football and execute an intense game late in the fourth quarter at Autzen, most likely in this game. Do you think the Stanford experience helps the Ducks well, in this I, case?
0: I, I absolutely it will help because I think they know deep inside they're the better team and they had better players. They just make two or three catastrophic mistakes at, at a very, very important time of the game you know, finishing that game out. I mean, again, guys, it, it, it was first and goal. And we went over that before. But that seems like a lifetime ago to these guys. They had the bye week. They beat Cal on the road. So it's a long time ago. Believe me, they flushed it. The coaches have flushed it. They're coming back refreshed. This is a new opportunity at home. And, and then Jordan Kent brought that up again. The Autzen aura, that Autzen, I think, positive vibe, you're going to get down there, electricity. Uh, I talked to a good friend yesterday. He said, you know, in the, the, the Pac-12, Austin Stadium is, like, number one with, like, noise, mm-hmm. excitement. I mean, just, you know, you can go talk about the fans and how maybe they're not quite respectful if you do lose. They're pretty sore losers. But uh, he was saying, that, believe it or not, that you go up to Washington State, that little 40,000-seat stadium up in Martin Stadium, it gets pretty loud, too, because the crowd is so close up there But in Pullman. Um, but number two, he says number one is Austin Stadium. So that, that's the Austin effect so we got to take that in consideration as well
1: well husky's coach chris peterson spoke earlier this week on what it's like playing at a place like autson this is what he had to say
0: yeah it's a great i mean it's a it's an awesome college football venue for sure i mean and like i said i mean i think the kids they like playing in environments like that whether it's you know going back to atlanta and you know a packed place like that or going down to autson and i think it's a lot better than a half full stadium. I really do. At the end of the like you can hear better and all those things in those stadiums, but I don't think anyone, I think if you had your, your druthers, you'd rather go into what it's all about.
1: Chris Peterson knows a thing or two about what it's like playing in Autzen stadium, whether it's the Boise state teams that he took in there, including an upset of Oregon in Autzen in the 2009 season or, or the 2008 season, I should say that year, or as a coach, Keep in mind, I mean, he was an assistant under Mike Belotti as a wide receivers coach from 1995 through 2000. Some formative years discovering himself as an as a assistant coach during that time. All his home games being played at Autzen. He coached 4,000-yard receivers in that five-year span. Chris Peterson did. And, Neil, you mentioned it in the previous segment. You've met this guy. He came and recruited your kid in yeah. your house. What is this guy like?
0: Yeah, and don't forget, he was at Portland State as well. That's right. Under Tim Walsh. That's right. So, two playoff
1: years yeah, in Division these, Two in 93 and 94. Chris, Chris is, Peterson right here on the Park Blocks.
0: He has been around, and yet those couple years for him was a very formable year. It created his style of Tim Walsh's offense. Mm-hmm. And, and, again, UC Davis guy. We talked about that, that hotbed for these coaches in <laughs> that area. That whole Sonoma Valley. It's incredible. Um, So Chris Peterson was the assistant under Dan Hawkins. And uh, yeah, they came and uh, came. You know, Coach Hawkins came to a basketball game uh, when Nick was playing in the wintertime. And then uh, Coach Peterson came. We had a great visit. I met Coach Peterson there at uh, Boise State when we went to Boise had breakfast. It was a great recruiting trip. One of the top two or three recruiting trips that I can remember that was just what what a family atmosphere. Because, you know, it's Boise State. It's not the Huskies. You know, you're not packing 75,000. But, you know, again, it, it's pretty odd, though. You see the blue turf on TV, but to walk on the blue turf, you're like, eh, I don't know, mm. man. You got to watch out for those birds. <laughs> they're, they're coming in. Can't figure it out. But, uh, you know, I, I appreciate what he's saying, Coach Peterson, about our players rather play and the coaches rather. I don't buy that. That's political. I don't buy it. As a player and a coach, For I don't want to go to those hostile environments. I don't want to go where i got to practice all week, have loudspeakers in the gym and loudspeakers in our arena because you can't really practice. you got to you got to try to have that same feeling of that noise. Right. How, how can you create that in practice? How do you create that noise? How do you create that that sounds before that play clock gets to 15 seconds where the band's got to be silent? There's certain rules, but the fans don't have to be silent. So he says that, that the players rather go play. I'm not buying that. Okay, The players, you want to be at a Stanford back in the day where there's only 30,000 people there when that stadium holds 80, right? And right. they weren't really packing it. That's what you want. You want to go to the Coliseum when USC's only bringing in 30,000, which that's what the players, because you want to hear. You want to be in control. Mm -hmm. So I know what he's he's trying to say, but deep down inside, man, this is going to be a
1: bitch. (laughs) And and, and that being said, Neil, I am envious of the idea of a road quarterback entering a hostile environment and playing the role of the bad guy. And I think of Jake Browning in this game, and – If you wanted a quarterback to go into Odson and weather the storm, if you will, I'd go with Jake Browning to do that. He might be the first guy I pick. I don't want a freshman. I don't want an inexperienced guy. I want a guy that has grit. Jake Browning, love him or hate him, he has grit. He's played in big games. He hasn't won a lot of big games because they lost to Bama. They lost to Penn State. They lost to Auburn. But I tell you what, for a guy that has been in big-time environments... He still has a lot of accuracy, not a ton of arm strength, but a lot of accuracy. And inside the red zone, he knows what it takes to get it done. What was that like for you in the NFL when you went into a, a tough road venue and you knew the noise was going to be loud and you knew the environment was going to be hostile? Was there still though a sense of like, okay, I can own this place? I, I love that feeling. What was that like?
0: <laughs> well, I know like I can own this place, but you you have to execute. It. Communication is is key. Yeah. How do you communicate? When verbally they cannot hear you, and going up from left tackle to right tackle, I can communicate the the coverage and make sure they know their protection scheme, make sure they know what run blocking scheme we have. But from the numbers, the numbers, from my wide receivers, you have to use hand signs. So everything came about our hand signs and flicking numbers to them, showing it's a two route, four route. So using my hands, using my my, make sure that's how you got to verbalize it. You know, you cannot because of the crowd noise, they're not going to hear you. So outside the hash marks, you're gonna see all kinds of hand motions by the quarterback. Yeah, he, he's he's a vet. I mean, you got to give the guy some credit too. I mean, he he passed Cody Pickett in that BYU game. All time leading passer. I mean, all time leading passer. And there's been some great quarterbacks at U Dub, and he has 10,612 career passing yards. That's 13th in Pac-12 history. Mm-hmm. So, and that, that happens when you stay four years. Judah and the fans have. You know, it's a lot of quarterbacks only play two years. One year, you know, you're a sophomore, junior, senior, but he's been doing it for a long time, and so is Miles Gaskin. Let's give this guy credit. I mean, this would be his fourth year, and he'll get 1,000 yards this year. So four years of 1,000 yards rushing, he's got 4,600 yards right now. So those two guys right there are going to try to control the tempo and really the style of this football game.
1: They will. Right now, Miles Gaskin in the Washington rushing offense, averaging four yards per carry, which won't blow your hair back necessarily, but I think it's the manner in which they do it. Like they, they are consistent in the run game. And at the very least, like for instance, last week, Gaskin gets twenty seven carries against UCLA, goes for a buck sixteen. It's only four point three yards per carry. You'll live with that. Mm-hmm. But they were playing from in front the entire game as well, especially the second half, and you need that kind of yards per carry production in order to stay in front. Gaskin also had a couple of touchdowns in that game as well. Uh last thing in this segment though, Neil, as well. The fact that Oregon's played in a big game against Stanford this year at home. Washington has played in a big game on the road this year. I know it was technically neutral site. That was not a neutral site game. Playing Auburn in Atlanta, Georgia. That was 90% Auburn fans there. How much do you think that factors into a game here in mid-October since both programs have been in high-profile environments already?
0: Well, I think the main factor is you can tell watching the Washington-Auburn game, Auburn was the better team that day. They were. They were the better team. And that was that typical SEC pro-style close pressure and noise. Got to the Huskies late in that fourth quarter. They had a couple protection breakdowns. Jake Browning got rushed, got hit. There was a key turnover in that game. But I thought watching that film and watching that game Auburn was the better team and controlled that game. Conversely, though, Oregon was the better team. They were they looked better offensively. You can tell. I don't care who you talk to, really. You can talk to Coach Shaw. He said, "Man, they were the bit. We got a couple great breaks at great opportune times, and we're lucky to come away with that victory." Yeah, you earned it in overtime. You stopped them four times. But still, I think Oregon still is a better football team. And you go to that environment down there in Atlanta. They didn't kind of. Hey, Washington didn't score any points. They really didn't. This same kind of environment here here, here at Oxen. So that's the
1: similarities. Yeah. There's two starters on the Washington offensive line that are from Portland in this game. Playing for you We're gonna get into that a little bit more as well as the show unfolds, taking you up to a 1230 kickoff on ABC. Coming up next, though, let's whip around the rest of the Pac 12 action. The schedule is sparse, but there's a huge game tonight in Los Angeles. Neil will give his thoughts on that and much more. Countdown to kickoff, Judah Newby, Neil Lomax on 1029-750 the game. We'll talk to the Duck Beat writer, James Crefia coming up at 1145. Live from Autzen Stadium of the Oregonian, James Crefia. He'll be joining the show. Judah Newby, Neil Lomax, welcome back into Countdown to kickoff. Right after final whistle of Ducks Huskies, we'll be back on the air. Right here on the game, taking your calls at 503-417-7575 on the Oregon College Football Post Game Show. Time to go around the Pac-12 and the rest of the top 25. And I tell you what, a lot of intriguing action in the top 25 today, Neil, including number three, Ohio State, only leading Minnesota in uh, Columbus, 20-14, to 14, midway through the third quarter. You also have 14th-ranked Florida riding the high of their win at home in the swamp over LSU last week, they are trailing Vandy in Nashville 21 to 13. And you have number 21 ranked Auburn losing at home to Tennessee, 20 to 17 late third quarter. And that Auburn score unfortunately for the pac 12, not what you want to see given that uh, your hopes kind of rest on Washington or Oregon. And the worst that Auburn does, the worst your chances get. That's a one-loss team for a Pac-12 playoff berth, but a lot of intriguing action today.
0: SEC, uh, well, the big one. Come on, Georgia at LSU. Uh, that's that's going to be a fun one. Both of you now watch that one later on after the Oregon game. That's going to be a fun one this evening. Mm. And well, that's hey, SEC. It's, yeah. it's SEC. Come on, it's SEC. They they beat each other up, and these are the kind of games they play, and they get all you know the, the pregame tailgaters are sometimes more exciting than the games down there in the SEC. So don't <laughs> worry about it. Auburn's going to come back and win. Now Vandy. Vandy might hold. Might, they might beat Florida. I, I can't get the Gators with the last three or four years with all their different styles, different coaches. But Ohio State's going to come back and beat Minnesota. So don't get all your don't get your underwear all tied up over there, Judah. Relax, will you? It's the <laughs> SEC. But I, I'm I'm looking forward though. I I love watching Georgia and their style of offense. I mean that that game last year in the Rose Bowl. Um, against Oklahoma was classic.
3: Unruly I still wild. have
0: that thing taped. Every once in a while, I just get bored of watching CNN and Fox. I'll go pop that thing back in, man, real quickly. And that was one of my favorite football games of all time last year.
1: It was an amazing game. I mean, and the Rose Bowl has brought out so many good games lately. Yeah. But you know what? On that note, interesting here. So that's think, SEC. Yeah, are, we, yeah. we're staying, are
0: we staying on SEC? No, I'm going to transition
1: oh. just a touch elsewhere in the top 25. I know to Oklahoma. Because, you know, Lincoln Riley is there, high-flying offense, but they lose that classic to Texas, and he fires Mike Stoops (laughs) as defensive coordinator midway through the season. I brought this up because you mentioned the Rose Bowl, and Georgia had to put up, you know, 50 points on Oklahoma and Mike Stoops in order to win that game last year. What do you think about that? I mean, parting way, uh, there, there won't be a Stoops on the sideline in Norman for the first time since like 96. No Bob, no Mike. It's all the Lincoln show right here. But he <laughs> fires him midway through the year, a possible playoff team?
0: Yeah, that that's, it's like, again, colleges now are the semi pros. You know, in the pros, that's what you do. You have to blame someone. The head coach is going to get fired unless you do something from the owner. The owner's going to come and say something. So the NFL, the owner, hey, what's going on here? You're losing all these games. What do you do? Either you trade the quarterback, you fire a coordinator. So, here it is. It's happening in college. I mean, you fire, quote, your friend. Guys have been with you for years and doing everything from training camp on. So it's his fault. You know, it's not the players. It's got to be his fault. It's got to be the schemes. It's got to be the calls. It's got to be the blitzes. Uh, don't blame the execution of the players. It's got to be him. So that's just the boosters. That's the administration. That's the president. That's the athletic director. And it's Oklahoma. You can't let Texas beat you. So do something about it. So that was, a, that was just not a little flick here, let's get a little GA, mm-hmm. or the, the water guys, or the Gatorade wasn't cold enough. No, it's the defense coordinator. And uh, yeah, you won't be seeing Mike up in the, uh, the suites <laughs> nah, <laughs> anytime soon now. Brother Love takes over loyalty to the school, I think.
1: Tell you what, if I'm the Dallas Cowboys and I'm rational, which I know those two things are polar opposites, that being wow. said, I'm looking at Lincoln Riley and being like, I'm parting ways with Jason Garrett, and I'm bringing Lincoln Riley in as my head coach as soon as possible because Lincoln Riley grew up a Dallas Cowboy fan. He is the next innovative offensive mind to go from college to the NFL. It's only a matter of time with this guy. At 38 years old or something like that, like the youngest coach in Division One football right now, Dallas Cowboys, get your act together. Go hire that guy. Wow. You just I'm went here, right baby. to the pr-
0: – you're I'm firing here. Jason Garrett. I thought yeah. this is a college
1: game yeah. day show. I know. Sorry about that. All right, let's get back to college, Neil, yeah. with, the, uh, with the Pac-12 action. How about this? Undefeated Colorado tonight, 7.30 p.m. on Fox Sports 1 in the Coliseum at USC. Colorado's ranked 19th. They've got a possible Heisman candidate in LaVisca Chennault, their receiver. A great quarterback in Stephen Montez. Great coach in Mike McIntyre. Undefeated, point underdogs to the 3-2 and two USC Trojans coming off a bye. What do you make of this Yeah, game?
0: because you're at the Coliseum, you're at USC, and you've never beat USC. Ever. That I mean, that's a staggering statistic of all the years. And they, I, I gotta admit, they haven't been playing each other since the Pac-12 were created, so it been a few years, but still. Uh, I, I tell you, I like Colorado in this game. Really? I do. I do. I think they're playing so well. They're so confident. Now, they've been doing that well at home, and they haven't had a lot of big road games yet this is the one it's going to be another interesting one to watch tonight along with that uh, Georgia LSU game uh peaking the fan interest this will be the Pac-12 at night this will be the classic one but man at the call I I'm feeling I want Colorado to win let's put it that way Mm. I mean everybody kind of feels that way you might think oh USC should win USC's got the points USC it's home Uh, they're playing pretty well but you know what I hope Colorado beats them. I really do. How
1: about that? How about 4 p.m. on the Pac-12 network? Chip Kelly and the winless UCLA Bruins on the road to take on Justin Wilcox and Cal sitting at 3-2. and two. Cal 0-2 to start their Pac-12 season, including the September 29th loss to the Oregon Ducks. Meanwhile, for UCLA, I'm seeing improvement with that team every single week, especially offensively. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, their quarterback, performed very nicely, especially in the second half. Against um, Washington last week, down in the Rose Bowl, does UCLA have a chance in this one? I know they're seven point underdogs on the road in Cal. Of
0: course, they got a chance, but you know what? It's kind of like that coin toss. I don't know, and really, I don't really care. Yeah, you, know, you kind of—I mean, I hate to say that. This just behind. You know, what, what the heck? UC, UCLA at Berkeley. It's Cal. I mean, I was so disappointed in that loss. Cal at Arizona. Uh, they looked flat. Didn't impress me at all. Made a lot of special team blunders back and forth. So. I don't know, man. Do you care about this game, Judah?
1: You... Nah, not really. I think that's why it's four p.m. on the fact. Oh, well, I mean, let's just go and get the commercial then. Well, we waste our time. All right. When we come back, we'll keep breaking down Oregon and Washington. Going to get Neil Lomax's thoughts on this, and especially the history of this rivalry. Something tells me 1994 might be brought up. Hear that coming up on the other side. Plus, James Creppy of the Oregonian will join us live from Onsen Stadium at 1145, taking you up till 1230 on Countdown to Kickoff with Jude Danube and Neil Lomax here on the game. Final hour Countdown to Kickoff on 1029, 750, the game. to Danube, Neil Lomax, as you make your way down to Onsen or to your friend's house or wherever you're going to watch this football game at 1230, feel free to tweet in your prediction as well at 1029, the game. We've already heard from Jordan Kent, part of our crosstalk segment earlier. Jordan likes the Ducks in a close one in this, in this rivalry game. Then we heard from Nick Aliotti, the former Duck defensive coordinator, now at the Pac-12 Network. He said, Oregon fans are going to hate me, but I like the Huskies to win this game in Autzen Stadium. Neil Lomax... I know you like the Ducks in this one. We'll wait for your final score prediction for our final segment leading up to the 12:30 kickoff, but you've gone on the record earlier saying you like Oregon to win this game and possibly to run the table. Well, and I like matchups.
0: That's what I like. I mean, I, I love I love watching this football game with you. We have a good time talking and eating and kind of figured out what we're going to talk about after <laughs> post game, but it, there's so many been great plays that Need to be dissected and talked about because all the experts talk about this and that. It's matchups. All yeah. comes down to matchups. Offensive line, defensive line, the coordinators. Uh, Marcus Arroyo against Jimmy Lake. You know what's what's their styles, but still, it's still players. I mean, Washington's got a great secondary. Lost a couple guys. We talked about losing, you know, Pettis last year, but you know, Fuller, Aaron Fuller is a really good receiver. But I want to talk about Washington's secondary really quick against Oregon's offensive wide receivers. You know, Brian Murphy's pretty good back there. Miles Bryant, Taylor Rapp. Uh, returning all-conference player last year. So, b- folks, when you watch this game, the secondary against offensive receivers for Oregon, Dylan Mitchell the Brendan Schoolers, uh, Johnny Johnson, Jalen Red, Debrah Hines, they're, they're going to be big factors in this game, as well as, and Jordan brought it up, Jacob Breland's healthy. I still like Cano Dillon, big number 85. I like his style. You're going to see them get in the action more and more. That's the matchups that present themselves, What's they work on, We call it a 7-on-7 period every day in practice. You work on your 30-minute, 20-minute passing game, and Oregon works on that probably two or three different times during their practice times. It's all about matchups, and I think Oregon's got the advantage against that, even though it's a very good secondary of the Huskies.
1: Mario Cristobal spoke earlier this week on what he anticipated facing the Washington offense against the Oregon defense?
0: Well, they've got a lot of weapons. I think that's a, the most uh, dynamic thing about them is they have a lot of guys that can make plays. Um, their quarterback, obviously, we've known he's, I think he's the only four-year starter there. You know, what makes it work, he's got a heck of an offensive line. They're really big, long rangey powerful guys, and the tight ends could do both. They could stretch the field, and they could hit you at the line of scrimmage and create some push.
1: Neil, who do you think is a tougher, on-paper, matchup for Oregon defense? Was it Stanford's offense, or is it this Washington offense? I think it's Washington's running game is a
0: lot better. I, I'm not a big, huge Bryce Love fan. I mean, he's been injured a lot. I, I admire what he's done down in the farm. But Miles Gaskin's, a, to me, a far better runner, and he's proven that with his longevity and being healthy. I mean, four years, and that that's the impressive thing that they bring, the Huskies offensively, is their running game, not just Miles Gaskin. Savon Ahmed will come in. He mm-hmm. will come in and get some touches. Uh, I don't know if Sean McGrew will play much, but, you know, Coach is talking about they got all these weapons. I, I, I don't really believe that either. I mean, Aaron is a pretty good receiver. They don't throw their tight ends. Their tight ends are going to block 80% of the time. They have play action, all that, but their running game, their check down game is very important. They had a lot of receivers get hurt. I mean, they've had a, a many injuries in in the preseason to their weapons, as Mario Cristobal calls it. So, I, I think the tight ends and... I love JJ Arcega Whiteside. That Stanford was mowing poison with their weapons mm-hmm. than Washington has. Washington, you stop their running
1: game, you're gonna probably gonna win the football game. That being said, I do think Aaron Fuller on the outside is a tough matchup in this regard. I mean, he's a big play guy. He averages 16.4 yards per catch. But not only Aaron Fuller, but number 20 Ty Jones. Right, he's a sophomore from Provo, Utah. The cat is 6'4", 209 pounds. You mentioned we loved J.J. Arcega-Whiteside from the way he profiles at the position, and he is such a tough cover one-on-one. Ty Jones might not be as talented as Arcega-Whiteside, but he's built in similar ways, and that is a tough red zone matchup, I think, for the Oregon Duck secondary. I mean, one-on-one, if you're Jake Browning and you're seeing that you've got Ty Jones at 6'4", going up against a 5'10", Thomas Graham Jr., and you're 25 and into the end zone... I think he's comfortable throwing that one-on-one ball, and he has many times this year. Ty Jones averaging 19.1 yards a catch and four touchdowns.
0: Well, and he's going to need to, and you better get it off quickly too because, again, I don't think he's seen the Jalen Jelks, uh, the Jordan Scott, Jordan Scott up front, and then I love when Hollins comes off the edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been really important. And then re- and the defensive backs, I mean, uh, Ugo Amati's had a bunch of picks. He's Pac-12 Player of the Week a couple weeks ago, and they've done a great job in Hollins. He's got Three picks as well right so you've got some secondary guys making some plays making some turnovers and we talk about Washington's got a great secondary I think Oregon matches them man-to-man
1: you got to be able to pass protect both sides have to pass protect in this game to your point to allow routes to develop down the field and attack those secondaries we'll talk more about the matchups on the field coming up in a few minutes as well let's pivot slightly to the historical context of this rivalry and what it means i mean neil you played obviously a lot of college football it got you in the college football hall of fame down here on the park blocks you played in, in a lot of big games in the nfl a lot of monday night footballs so a lot of rivalry contests what's it like when you're taking on an opponent that you are so familiar with that that familiarity breeds contempt have you ever really hated an opponent when you stepped on the field?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, definitely the pros. We hate the, anybody in the NFC. Cowboys, Redskins, Eagles. And you play them twice, a, twice in a season. See, that's not, that doesn't happen in college. So in the NFL, you're playing that team twice. So you're very familiar with them, and they're very familiar with you, and the history goes back years and years and years when you're in that conference. You know, that's the Rams, 49ers, you know, the Raiders and Broncos. You, know, you look about the history, of the Chiefs, Broncos.
1: Who'd you hate the most?
0: Well, I mean, I, I hated or just, I just <laughs> want to play their butts was the Giants because of freaking Lawrence Taylor. <laughs> I mean, I still wake up at 2 or 3 in the morning with sweat. Just, oh my God. I, I, all of a sudden I see number 56. 56. Ah. I mean, nightmares on that guy. I mean, the Giants had in the 80s were. Badass. They were good. They went to two Super Bowls.
1: Was Belichick coaching defense there?
0: No, he wasn't there yet. No. Bill well, Parcells brought him in, I think, the last two years of my career. Because he went to Cleveland right, right after that. About 90, 89, 90, 91. It's an interesting, good history you brought that up. So he might have been there just a year as a, a GA or something. But, but again, the Cowboys. You know, I mean, back in those days, too, they, they made America's team, the cheerleaders and all that crap. You know, so we <laughs> we, hey, we couldn't wait to is. play them, too. But, Man, so there's one team we hated, the Cowboys, where one team we didn't want to play, the Giants. Right. So here we are, Huskies, Ducks, great robbery, all that. But Oregon, the last two years, they're not going to want to think about that. Not not good memories there. And Chris Peterson has done quite well on the helm as a head coach of the Huskies against the Ducks.
1: The last two seasons, Washington has dominated this matchup. But you think about the first time in 2016, that was Justin Herbert's first career start against that defense with all those NFL players on the other side of the ball. The Buda Bakers, the Danny Sheltons. yeah, Greg Gaines was still on that team back then. Vita Vea was still on that team. Kevin Pettis, King, Pettis uh, first was round pick. Absolute, Pettis was there. Yep. John Ross, the ninth overall yes. pick in the draft was playing in that game. You had so many NFL dudes for Washington in that 2016 game. I remember Washington was a 10-point road favorite going into that game, and I knew going in. Lay the ten. Lay the ten. Lay the ten. And they blew him out. Seventy to twenty one. Seventy to twenty-one. Jake Browning eight total touchdowns in that game. Six passing, setting a school record, two rushing, and one of his two rushing touchdowns was one of the more iconic plays this rivalry has seen. The point. And he goes right at Jimmy Swain and he looks at him in the helmet and he points at him as he crosses the goal line. It's those type of moments, Neil, that just build up the feud and the emotions in this type of rivalry. Does, I know Troy Dye still has that picture of the point hanging in his locker to serve as motivation for this game. I mean, the emotions are high, Neil. They're high.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I don't know if Mario Cristobal is going to show that film, and they better not go back to '94 and show and show the pick. So you got the point. Why not? You got the point. You got the pick. So I don't know what you know which one to show. For what year? But that's a different Oregon team. You know, Willie Taggart wasn't too happy with that. You know, going in going into that year, and but even in 2015. That was a big win for Oregon up there in Seattle, mm. and that's when Jake Browning got hurt too. So you got when Justin Herbert goes down, different ball game. But but laying seventy on the Ducks, he did at that Austin. intentionally, no question. So that, that was tough too. But you know the 2017 game, that that's the one I remember too. When when Pettis has had a great great game, and you know there was no Justin Herbert. Braxton Burmeister tried the best he could to hang. Hang the ducks in there with bailing wire and band aids, but thirty-one that, passing that, yards. That's the game I remember last year. I mean, I think it was thirty-eight to three. Mm-hmm. So uh, here we go. But brand new year, they're looking good. It's going to be a
1: great game to watch. That nineteen ninety four game that you reference, the point in the pick. <laughs> they still play it as the last thing on the video board pregame at Otson to get everybody hyped up. And I I can't get enough of how it sounds.
4: You're going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is
3: intercepted! Intercepted! The next hand of the ball! Down to the 35, the 40. Kenny Whedon's going to score! Kenny Whedon's going to score! 20, that's in! Touchdown! Kenny Whedon! On the interception! The most improbable thing!
1: Chills. <laughs> Chills. That's what it's all about. All right. This rivalry is going to be played for 111th time. But how about the 2018 version? Will it look any different from 2016 and 17? Well, you know it will. But will it be different enough to get Oregon in the win column? We're going to talk to James Krepian from the Oregonian coming up next, live from Autzen Stadium. This is Countdown to Kickoff with Neil Lomax and Judah Newby here on 1029-750-THE-GAME. Getting closer. Getting closer. The hype keeps on building. Welcome back to Countdown to Kickoff. We're taking you to a 12:30 kick on ABC for Ducks and Huskies. Jude Anubi, Neil Lomax. And let's bring in an independent third party. Let's see what I did there. What is going on with the Pac-12 refs these days? James Crepia covers the Oregon Ducks uh, for the Oregonian. And he joins us live from Autzen Stadium right now. James, it's good to talk to you for the first time this year. How are you?
4: Doing well, guys. How are you doing this morning?
1: Doing great. Doing great. What's the vibe around Odson like right now?
4: Oh, you can definitely tell the, the energy is picking up as we near kickoff here. The Ducks just took the field uh, for pregame, and the fans are beginning to fill in. It's definitely, you can tell, it's going to be a big game atmosphere. That's, that's the great part of college football, and when you have a rivalry like this, uh, yeah, I would imagine that this is going to be one of the louder games in this building in the last several years.
1: That it will, James, that it will. Now, you know, a little bit of background on yourself coming to cover the Oregon Ducks. You have been in SEC country as recently as, well, this year covering the Auburn Tigers. I imagine you've seen a lot of big environments for Auburn football as well. What are your initial impressions of what Austin is like from an atmosphere perspective compared to some of the stuff you've seen?
4: Well, for sure, Auburn has uh, an unbelievable game day environment for a big game, Uh, though today it doesn't look very good. Uh, Auburn is down, I believe, 10 points in the fourth quarter to Tennessee, and uh, it was nearly 17, (laughs) I believe, a couple months ago. Uh, So frankly, Auburn, if they lose today, is going to be killing uh, Washington's uh, strength of schedule with a loss, and then if, if Oregon manages to win everything gets dragged down because of that loss uh, to Auburn, and they end up losing at home to Tennessee. A Tennessee team was a well, nearly three-touchdown underdog in that game. So it's a an environment, though, and it's bigger, and they're having more success, for sure. It's a pretty great environment for the SEC, but I know before I came out to the, the West Coast that Thompson, uh and Oregon in general was probably the closest thing the Pac-12 had to offer to an SEC program, an SEC fan base, and passion, and uh, clearly it's living to that. Uh, only being here for the Stanford game as far as the home game before this, that was an unbelievable environment as well. And I would expect that today would be no so different and look forward to uh, being here for years to come and to see plenty of big games uh, in the future here from the Oregon Ducks.
0: Hey, hey James, this is, this is Neil Lomax, uh, Oregonian all my life. So welcome. Welcome to the beautiful Northwest. We, this is every day's like this here, by the way. Every <laughs> single day it's like this. So get used to it. Don't bring any Gore-Tex. Don't you, you don't need any rain gear. It's, all, it's always like this. Hey, we've been talking about the knowns. The knowns are Washington's defense, uh, Oregon's offense, Justin Herbert, Jake Browning. What tell us some of the unknowns you've been uncovering the last five or six days as we get ready for this game? What, what's what's been on your hot list that people aren't talking about?
4: Well, the knowns start, start you got to start there to me be, uh, because you, you can't look past a game where you have the quarterback as talented as Justin Herbert and as countless at the collegiate level as Jake Browning. Now, no one's going to compare their professional. Uh, potentially Herbert to be the one overall pick in an NFL draft, whether it's next year or the year after. Browning is not going to be that kind of player at the professional level, but you don't have to be in order to be an accomplished and prolific college quarterback, and that's right. what he is. Right. Now, moving on from that, yeah, the Boston secondaries you mentioned are line, two great top-end receivers and Eric Fuller and Dylan Mitchell. These are all the knowns. Now, getting to the unknowns, what is unknown to me is how is either one of these teams going to cover those top-end receivers by way of strategy? First, how is Oregon going to cover Aaron Fuller in that, literally, how they how are they going to cover him? Because while physically they match up better with him than they did our single-wide side for Stanford, certainly, Oregon's corners are far and away the weakness of this defense. And Aaron Fuller has quickly established himself as a top-end receiver capable of going against really good secondaries, especially the Auburn game. I was there. He went up against some of the best cover corners in college football, and he lit them up hmm. across the board. Well, that's going to be tough. That's going to be a tough matchup. I'm curious to see how Art was goes about individually matching up with him. Do they double him? Do they cloud him? How do they try to take him out of the game and prevent him from you know being a big play receiver in this game? Other side of it, while this is going to sound weird for to some fans, but I think Miles Gaskin is an unnoticed. match. You to say, wait a minute. Top 120 yards in three straight years. It's about 1,000 yards in three straight years. It's probably going to get 4,000-yard you know, season this year. How do you say that? Well, his production is down a big way from a year ago. And last week, he's coming out of the game late, and they're saying, oh, well, part of it was key, part of, you know, get another guy on the field late there. Now, Al Gaskin is, is, to me, a little bit of an unknown here. I don't know if it's a health issue. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. But he is not a prolific a running back as he has been in years past. I think that's a bit of an unknown if he is not 100% or significantly less than 100%, that could be a huge leg up for an Oregon defense that's already good enough against the run to begin with, and containing it would be a key in general. But if he's less than 100%, that's huge. And if you can put Jake Browning in passing situations, that's a massive advantage because he's crumbled in big passing situations this year.
0: Yeah, yeah, James, he did look banged up a lot in that last four or five minutes of that goal line offense when Washington put that game away You know, against UCLA there in the Rose Bowl. Well, here's how you cover Aaron Fuller. You, you, here's how you cover them. Jalen Jelks, Austin for EU, uh, Justin Hollins, Troy Dye, Blitz, That That's how you try to cover a great receiver. You put pressure on the quarterback. How do you see it?
4: No no question about it. That, that's it, it all works together with, without question. Now, you rely on them all the time. You can go Blitz crazy. This isn't a video game. Uh, you, you can try, but that, that won't work all the time either because sooner or later they'll beat me on things and dogs. So and there are other receivers on the Washington receiver board, by the way, are plenty capable. But Fuller is the biggest test. But if, pre- if you can pressure Browning. And I know I, I watched that, uh, Washington up against one of the best defensive lines in the country. The okay, Auburn's defensive line, not just the starting four, you go up to the two deep, six or seven of those guys are going to get drafted. Okay, So they all are right. elite players. Bust, bust. They absolutely tormented Browning in that game. They got to him more than I mean, exact offensive season five on team in that game. I think if they were well, part of that was Washington's offensive line having addressed the Trey Adams being out. They only do that a couple of days earlier. Sure, in part, but it's the same starting group as that. And this is definitely the best defensive front seven that Washington has faced since that game. Now I'm not going to compare Oregon to, to Auburn on the front four or defensive line. That's that's silly. Oregon has some talent, but it's not the level of talent all. that's why it is. That's it. You're absolutely right. If they can apply pressure, just look at the numbers. Look at the numbers do the talk, and I did this week. At, at third and six shorter, Jake Browning is one of the best quarterbacks in the Pac-12 if not the country. At third and seven plus, he's one of the worst quarterbacks in the Pac-12 in the country.
0: Uh, don't, don't keep blaming the quarterback now, James. See, there you go. You're, you're, giving, you're giving him way too much credit, and you're giving him way too much blame uh, on situations. That's Come on, that, position, that, that's a coaching that's issue. That's a coaching uh, issue right there.
1: Uh, James Crepia, good, right uh, good stuff right here. Hey, what about, you know, Jim Leavitt in Oregon's defense? You're talking about a guy making $1.7 million per year, just a few thousand shy of what Mario Cristobal is making per year. I mean, is this the type of game in your mind where Jim Leavitt's got to make his money? Uh,
4: I think Jim Leavitt's already made his money in a, in a good extent. Uh, I, I do. I mean, I, I don't know, guys. For me, the, 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 the penalties down significantly across the board, not just on defense, but, but the penalties down from worse in the country last year. With the rust defense, the top ten, the overall defense, been pretty solid so far. Scoring defense in particular. Yeah. Now, look, past defense again. Yeah, we already talked about that. But he inherited these players, and he's getting the most he can out of them so far. Now, again, look, today, if Jake Ryan goes out there for 350 and Aaron Paul has got 125 touchdowns, we're going to be talking about it a little bit differently on Monday. or after the game for that matter. But so far, I'd say, I think Jim Lowe has just fine. <laughs> That's because he's done a pretty serviceable job, all things considered, uh, with where the unit was when he inherited it and where they are already so far.
1: All right, James, how do you see this one, Ducks-Huskies.
4: I, I've picked Oregon all week. I'm sticking by it. I do think it's going to be a close game. Uh, I, I do. But, again, maybe it's just because I'm, I'm too clouded by the fact of seeing that opener and seeing Washington struggle so mightily. Uh, and I, I think they're a pretty good team. Don't get me wrong. I think they're a great secondary. But I do think Oregon wins. I believe last, last I picked, trying to keep track of change for the change throughout the course of the week, but I believe I had a 28-24. I think it's either a field goal or four-point kind of game. It's come down very late. I think it's competitive, but I do think Oregon
1: wins. James, will try yep. to catch up to you post-game as well. But, uh, hey, thanks for taking the time and looking forward to talking to you all season long. James Creppy of the Oregonian. Appreciate the time, James. Enjoy the game.
4: Thanks, guys. You as well.
1: There it is, James Crappy for the the Oregonian. You'll get used to watching and reading all his coverage all year on the Oregon Ducks.
0: Yeah, he went too Prejudice. You know, Auburn has the best defensive line, by six hey, guys getting good, drafted. Five. I've never seen anybody that good. That's that's so <laughs> SEC sway. I mean, come on, look at and his team's getting beat. That team's getting beat by Tennessee. <laughs> so James Crappy off. To James the, still to listening to his Who the hell is this Lomax yeah, guy anyway? I Neil mean, Lomax anyway. Write some bad about him. Just get in line. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Getting line. Jeez. Final half hour of the show is coming up. We'll get Neil's official score prediction coming up, and uh, we'll also get into this matchup. There are two players on Washington's offensive line from the city of Portland. I want to talk about them because they're going up against Jalen Jellick, Jordan Scott, and Justin Hollins. It's going to be tough going. That's coming up. This is Countdown to Kickoff. to Doobie, Neil Lomax on 1029,
0: 750 the game. <laughs> Welcome to Countdown to Kickoff, part of Oregon College Game Day with Judah
1: Newby and Neil Lomax. Presented by Frost Frostbrood Coors Light on 1029 and 750 The Game. Final 25 minutes here on Countdown to Kickoff, 1029 and 750 The Game. He's Neil Lomax, the College Football Hall of Famer. I'm Judah Newby, and we're going to make predictions for this game coming up in our final segment. We've already heard a few predictions along the way. James Crepia from the Oregonian just picked the Ducks, 28-24. Nick Aliotti picked Washington in a shootout. That still got my eyebrows raised. Jordan Kent likes the Ducks in a close one. I think I know where Neil's going, but we'll talk about that in the final segment as well. All right, Neil, how about some of the matchups on the field in this game, starting with the Washington offense against the Oregon defense, particularly the Washington offensive line. A lot of new faces in this group, partly because of guys moving on, partly because of guys being injured. Trey Adams, the preseason All-American left tackle, back surgery before the season, out for the year prior to the Auburn game. So they already, right off the bat, have to make a personnel change protecting Jake Browning's blind side. And they've done it. With a couple of local kids from the city of Portland. The left tackle, number 70, Jared Hilbers, 6'7", 3'13", from Beaverton High School. Go Beavers! Go Beavers! He was also a great basketball player at Beaverton, from uh, what I remember watching him there. He was a top five state of Oregon recruit in the class of 2015. Hilbers made his first career start versus Auburn in Blaze of Trey Adams, and he's been starting at left tackle every game since then. The right guard on Washington, also from Portland. From Jesuit Jackson Kirkland, the redshirt freshman number fifty-one, playing the same position with the same jersey number as his father Dean Kirkland back in the late eighties through nineties under Don James. So a couple, a Jesuit kid and a Beaverton High kid at right guard and left tackle, respectively, going up against Chordon Scott and Jalen Alex. I love that matchup. That's a good match. I mean, good local flavor.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's that's always interesting to bring that up. I think it's great for the fans and loyal supporters of all Oregonians in Oregon high school football, which to me and I've been involved with Oregon high school football for the last 25, 30 years. We don't get the credit. A lot of the the quality players, these high school kids that do come out, and we just know the ones that stay at Oregon or Oregon State. Um, But, you know, they go to Washington. They didn't want to stay if Mark Helfrich couldn't keep some of these guys. And I want to throw a little love into the Molden family. You know, Elijah Molden, a West Lynn product. He's up there. He's a nickelback. He plays special teams, so folks keep an eye on him. Great family in the Oregon Ducks, obviously loyal. Be loyal to him and appreciate what he's been doing. And also, there's not it's Keenan Lowe's brother, Trey, mm-hmm. who had a great college. I mean, high school career at Jesuit. Let's face it, Jesuit produces a lot of great quality high school players to go play in the college ranks. They have you know, Coach Potter's done a fantastic job with that program the last thirty years, and they're one of the top five, top ten uh, football programs in the state and great kids that come out of there. And it's good to see the Kirkland kid playing up there and the Beaverton kid. So, anyway, ho- hopefully Elijah gets to play a little bit. So that's, that's kind of cool to see the local products do well.
1: There's another West Salem High School grad, Jacob Kaiser, sophomore tight end, Fort Washington. He only has a couple of catches this year, but he's played in every game, and he's played a lot of snaps this year and last year. Kind of more of a blocking tight end profile, but Jacob Kaiser from West Salem High shooting up for the rival purple. As for other matchups in this game to keep an eye on, I keep coming back to Oregon's pass rush against that Washington offensive line and Jake Browning. Because Jake Browning, you've seen him, Neil. Yeah. You called him out earlier this year. You said Jake Browning has to just be a better quarterback. Stop being a young inexperienced quarterback as a fourth-year starter. Play better. In the last few weeks, maybe he heard you because he's been playing
0: better. <laughs> well, he was just being average. He was. Mediocrity doesn't, doesn't fit what he's about. And... You know, Coach Yalioli talked about as well. That's like the first time a four-year starter uh, at Washington has been there a long, long time. I mean, last year's stats alone uh, is incredible what he's done. And bringing that back to this year is important. I mean, what he's done in the last year, he had 19 touchdowns, only five interceptions. He's been throwing at 68%. You know, third down, we did talk about, and James is right, from third down, six less. When you have that third, three to six, he's been hitting 55, 60% of conversion That's huge in third down categories. So, and Jake's that way. But again, it's third and three to six. You get third and eight plus. He's only 24, 25%. So that really drops down. You got to get in those situations. And that's when you say Jim Levitt and that staff and the defense got to do their job. And that you want to get them in that third six, third eight plus. It's so important. But again, to me, Miles Gaskin, if he is a little dinged up, and it's interesting hearing from James, that's an unknown. That was kind of like, whoa, I took a little step back there go, wow. If he can't go, it's on to your next backs, and that's Savan Ahmed and Sean McGrew. Well, Gaskin's going to play. Well, I he's going to play. He, he meant he,
1: in, he, in the sense that he has been less productive in what's supposed to be his, you know, his peak season. As well, and, and,
0: and Bryce Love has been less productive, right? Yeah. So you've got these guys come back. Well, who do you key on? Who it's? We talk about a pass rush, but the the run game stop of, of Oregon's been very good. They they rank still top twelve. The nation on third down uh, defense, total yards, total passing. So give credit to Oregon, not just the pass rush, but the linebackers.
1: Well, I think, that, they, and that's what's getting overlooked a little bit in this game, is that Oregon is allowing 3.5 yards a rush. Yeah. They know how to stop the run. They stopped Bryce Love for the majority of that game. If they can corral Miles Gaskin in a similar way and keep it three, third and seven plus that will really hinder Jake Browning's chances to get the ball down the field. Jake Browning doesn't get the ball down the field very much anyway. His it, average yards per attempt is 8. Justin Herbert's like at 11.
0: Well, they're, they're not that explosive team. That's why I talked about. They, they try to get chunk plays. Oregon gets explosive plays in the in the definition of that chunk plays 15, 20, 25 yards. You got a good chunk. Explosive? 75, 80 double revert the pass. Fake play action, boom! There's a tight end down the hash. a uh, uh, Jacob Breland, uh, even a Jimmy Johnson that has that. You get C.J. Vardell out of the backfield. I'm telling you, Tony Brooks James. I don't know why. They, I think Tony Brooks James is going to have a breakout game. Yeah, the running, they're going to get him more touches because they need him now. They need the veteran. That's a young, young group. You talked about they, they've been have 15 rushing touchdowns, 10 by true by freshmen, right? But that's the athletes Oregon has. They bring him in and bring him in and bring him in, but. Again, stop in the running game and give credit where credit's due. If Troy Dye, Lamar Winston Jr., Justin Hollins, they have the game of what they've been playing. They've been playing really consistent. They're the key to stopping that, that, that rushing attack. You do that, you got a great chance to win.
1: Emotions are very high in this game. But at some point, emotions dissipate. At what point do they dissipate? At what point do you have to have that second surge of energy? Because, you know, you played in these games – is it easy to almost tire yourself out by the second quarter with all, so much on the line emotionally?
0: Yeah, I never got hyped up with the pregame warm-ups. I try to keep my calm as, as you start playing more and you got more experience because, man, when they, you put your four the four fingers up in the fourth quarter, everybody kind of does that, high schools, college, even the pros. You kind of go in that fourth quarter, you have certain players, oh, my God, one more quarter. Or for me or other guys, okay, good, here we go, fourth quarter. This is it, 15 minutes, let's do it. So that's the mentality. We're three-dimensional beings. That physical kind of gets beat up in three quarters. So then your mind and spirit better take over that fourth quarter. And that's the difference maker. How can you get coaches? That's the the value of coaches. Get these kids, and they are kids, 18, 19, 20, 20-year-old. 20 hey, get them out of that physical. And the fourth quarter happens, you got to get to your mind and your heart. You better suck this thing up, focus up, get locked in, and let's go. Oregon really hasn't done that or needed to the first three games because it was preseason. Now it's time. That fourth quarter is going to be very evident. I'm looking forward to see how well they execute in the fourth quarter.
1: Chris Peterson has a saying, and I'm not sure it's specific to him, but enthusiasm is common, endurance is rare. And he mentioned that in the preseason in terms of the whole season, but I think that's also applicable to this game. The enthusiasm on both sides is going to be through the roof. But who can endure through the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows, the peaks and valleys within the game itself? Who can endure that the best to be able to still execute in the second half of this football game? And I tell you what, I look at Justin Herbert and I say, that's a guy that can do it. That's a guy that can endure through all the ups and downs, even within the context of a single football game. Would you agree with that?
0: Absolutely. And How do you react to the chaos? The chaos means the sudden change. You're driving, you're driving a fumble. How do you react to that? How can you kind of, again, as we athletes talk, flush that, get back on the defense, got to go back on the field? And that's the noise. Of, if, if Washington could hang in there and react to the turnover, if he does get a tip ball and the crowd's going crazy, it's still second quarter, that's what I was impressed with Stanford, how Stanford hung around, hung around, could have been down by 21, 24 points, but hung around, and that's what Coach Shaw brings to that Stanford the composure, I think Coach Peterson does the same thing with the Husky group. They keep their poise and their style all the way through four quarters.
1: Can Oregon learn from that Stanford second half and close out the Huskies in a close game today? Should it be close? We'll get Neil Lomax's final prediction on this game, taking you up to 1230 on ABC. Tune in right after Final Whistle for the Oregon College Football Postgame Show alongside Neil and myself right here on 1029, 750 The Game. Final segment here on the game. Thanks, Matthew Zimmer, spinning it behind the glass as always. Right after Final Whistle of Ducks Huskies, tune in right here for the Oregon College Football Postgame Show with Neil Lomax and myself. As we take your calls at 503-417-7575 and your tweets as well at 1029 the game Reaction to this one right after final whistle. No waiting around to get your reaction on the biggest game of the year to date. All right, Neil, it's time to pick this game. But before we do so, got to give a shout out. To your alma mater, the my friend, how about the Vikes getting a win last week on the road in Missoula on a 52-yard field goal at the buzzer by a freshman kicker? I mean, that, you can't script it any better than that.
0: Man, Cody Williams, I, I they bust there, too. Coach Barnum loves this. He takes these bus rides to Pocotillo, so they took the bus ride to Missoula, left on Thursday. I love what Coach Barnum does. They go see some sights all the way through the beautiful Central Washington Plains. And, the, and it, But, man, they haven't... I remember beating Montana. It's 1979. We go to Missoula and beat them. They were saying that's the first time in like in 20 years that a Portland State team beat Montana in Montana. I mean they've been national champs and what a great run. So the big sky is tough. And they've never beat Montana as a big sky opponent and they did. So congratulations, Bruce Barnum, your entire staff. Uh, Cody Peterson, man, the freshman from California. Wow. 52-yard 52 52. field goal, no Ooh. time, and, and my buddy Ty Howland, uh, who gives me the inside scoop, says he's never seen the defense play that well, and Coach Barnum has never seen the defense. So, new DC, give him props. You know, it was great, and but they have a homecoming game today, Province Park, two o'clock. So, folks, you're you're done playing golf, you're done doing yard work. Come on, come on down to PP, support the Vikes. They're playing Northern Colorado. Of course, they haven't won a game yet. So I got the Vikes winning this football game. So come on down, support your local school and my Vikes. Happy homecoming! I got them winning. Happy homecoming! I got yeah. my I got my Portland State logoed.
1: Little see, Judah? you got your PSU. Long I got I'm branded. Yeah, it's nice. I'm branded. It's not. It's not the Steve Nash gifted <laughs> Hall of Fame jacket from a couple of weeks ago. No, I
0: actually had to buy this. That's my, you know, That's my donation to Portland State. I get the for, irony for ten
1: grand. The irony that exactly. Yeah, go grand. back today to beat Northern Colorado. <laughs> oh, I love it. Hopefully, uh, it will be back to back wins for the team on the park blocks. All right, Oregon, Washington. We We've got a few minutes left. Let's break down the final matchups here. Dylan Mitchell. Over 340 receiving yards in his first two Pac-12 games. The guy's electric. How do you think Washington and co-defensive coordinators Jimmy Lake and Pete Kwiatkowski are going to try to scheme to stop Dylan Mitchell in this game?
0: Well, don't, don't just worry about number 13, Dylan Mitchell. you got to worry about four or five other guys across the board because Justin Herbert's my three-headed monster. He does everything. He's triple threat. He is triple threat. He can run it. He can throw it. But he can read. He reads coverages better than anybody. When you can read and react and execute – you're going to cover. You're going to tap him and put a guy on top. Meaning you're going to have a guy low, a one, a corner bump and run, and have a safety above the top on Dylan Mitchell. There's two guys taken away from your other three or four receivers. He will go to number two or number three. That's what he does well. That's the concept passing game. I'm big matchup though is the big boys up front trying to start Miles Gaskin. If he's a little dinged up, keep hitting him, hit him. i the guys. He passed Napoleon Kaufman as UW's all-time leading rusher against Auburn. Man, that, I remember Napoleon Kaufman. He was awesome. You know, again, and it's Jake Browning. He's he's, he's eighth time Pack Pac-10-12. Those are the two key guys. Contain those guys. Got a great chance to win.
1: Third down is going to be so important in this game. Washington offensively, seventh in the country in third down conversions. They're converting over 51% of their third downs. Oregon's defense, allowing the opponent to convert on 36% of their third downs in this game. Neil, third down, and what's that like as a quarterback on the road having to convert third and seven, third and eight? Because I think that's going to play a huge role in today's game.
0: Yeah, it's a, and we talked about that just in the earlier segment. Uh, between third and three to six, you're going to hit 65%. That's where you want to stay in because you can still run the ball. You know, third and eight plus, now 85% of the time you have to throw the ball. And, and the other team knows that as well, so it's very difficult in what whatever level you're at. But again, Justin Herbert, Pac, Pac-12 play, he's 42 of 56 for 76%. In first half alone, he's showing 82%. So, again, the Red Bull effect going to not last the first half. It's the second half. I think they're going to play just as well in the second half as they've been doing the first half.
1: They've been averaging 22,
0: 24 points in the first half. Bang.
1: Second half. Got to do the same thing. That's key. Well, Washington has a top five national defense in first half scoring as well. They don't let people score in the first half. But you know what? Neither did Cal and neither did Stanford. And then Oregon put up 24 on each of those in the first half as well of those games. All right, when it comes down to it, we've talked about every single matchup, it seems like, on the field in this game. How about this, though? One final stat for you. Just three teams in the country have scored at least 30 points in each of their first five games. Alabama, Georgia, and the University of Oregon Ducks. Mm Mm-hmm. Does Oregon reach the 30-point plateau in this game, Neil?
0: Oregon is averaging 45.6 per game. It's best in the Pac 12, 12th, 12th best in the entire nation. 12 different players have scored an offensive touchdown for Oregon. 12. So go ahead and stop Dylan Mitchell. We got 11 other guys that can touch the ball. That's why I got Oregon winning this game by 17 plus. I'm saying it right now. Oregon's gonna go. I got i I'll just say 38 21.
1: Neil Lomax is on the board Ducks is that 13 by the way is that the math
0: yeah, 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 yeah. To all right, with, you know what the Portland state I don't...
1: <laughs> <laughs> shout out all right I'm gonna go 30 to 24 ducks Ooh. win by six okay touchdown all right we both got the ducks It'll be exciting. Let's go watch this game, shall we? We we always do. All right, here we go. Enjoy the football game. Tune into the Oregon College Football Post Game Show right after final whistle for Neil Lomax and myself. a newbie. Thanks, Matthew Zimmer. This has been Countdown to Kickoff on 1029 seven fifty. The game.